Hi everyone, I'm Liam Sanyo from Inside Scientific, your favorite online source for life science webinars, virtual events, interviews, and educational content helping you do your best work. This episode of Expert Answers features Dr. Barry Setlow, who's a professor in the Department of Psychiatry at the University of Florida College of Medicine and a member of the University of Florida Center for Addiction Research and Education. Dr. Setlow recently joined us for a webinar to discuss the behavioral and neural mechanisms of cost-benefit decision-making in rodent models, with a focus on how substance use can affect variability and long-term consequences in decision-making. Let's get right into it. Let's start off the Q&A with a question from Asuncion, who's said, uh, researchers perceive the requirement to use animals of both sexes in preclinical studies as an unjustified increase in the total number of animals used, uh, and also with an extra cost, at least in the early stages of research. Uh, so how can we address this challenge as the competent authority or the animal welfare body? That is a great question. I mean, and you know, one to which I don't I mean, be honest, I don't have an easy answer, and maybe there is no easy answer, but probably the best answer that or the best way to address this that that I've seen has been to, you know, there is no, you know, my understanding, at least from the, you know, from the perspective of the NIH in, in, the, in the U.S., is that there is no requirement that you have to essentially double your group sizes. Uh, and certainly when dealing with initial stages of research or preliminary experiments, you know, rather than using animals of only one sex, I believe there's no reason why you can't use, you know, half males, half females. And, you know, speaking from my own experience, I mean, I, I was very, very skeptical, you know, before we started working with, you know, essentially looking at sex differences. And I, you know, I said very skeptical, didn't think that we would see anything of value. And I have been, again and again, I have been proven wrong. You know, maybe that has to do with the type of, you know, the, the type of behaviors or the type of research I, I work with, but I have, like, every time I look, I find interesting and, you know, I would argue very important sex differences. Yeah. Fantastic. So I, I, Great I guess the, the short answer is I would say, yeah, the, 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 the benefits well outweigh the costs, you know, in, in looking at both sexes. Yeah, certainly. Here's a, a good question from Evgeny, who's asked if you house your rats in groups, and if so, if you've checked whether the rat's position in the hierarchy, you know, changes their level of risk acceptance or vice versa. Oh, that that is an outstanding question. So we have done both. We have group housed rats and we have single housed rats, and it does not make a difference. There, there is no you know, whether the group or single house does not make a difference, at least with respect to risky choice. Uh, we've not looked at impulsive choice, but with, with respect to risky choice, it, it does not make a difference whether the group or single house. What we do see, or what, what we have seen, and we're, this is a, these are questions we're still working on, is that group house or pair housed rats seem to develop a sort of concordant patterns of risk taking in that even though there are I mean, it doesn't change them as a whole, that, you know, pair housed rats are more similar than would be expected by chance, more similar to each other than would be expected by chance. So it's as if there are sort of peer housing influences on their degree of preference for risk taking. I mean, that's an observation at this point. We don't know why, but that's just simply what we've what we've seen. But certainly, I mean, the, the, the question is a valid one. And I think that would be, you know, that that would be important to, to follow up on. Fantastic. And I think a, a bit of a spin-off question 
is whether you see in general lower intake from pair or grouped housed rats, or maybe more broadly, a question could be if, if you know, things to do, like maybe a running wheel or pair housing, if that, you know, makes them more likely, you know, if they're bored, they might want to do more cocaine. Have you looked at that? No, so we have not looked at that specifically, but, you know, lots of other people have. Um, and, I mean, giving the rats something else to do can, you know, either you know, to, to a you know small or large extent, uh, reduce their cocaine intake. Uh, something as simple as a block of wood to chew on can reduce their cocaine intake. Pair housing can reduce rats' cocaine intake. And you know, certainly putting them in an, an enriched environment where there's you know, say a dozen rats with lots of new toys to play with, that considerably reduces their cocaine intake. Um, so yeah, the, the short answer is yes, but that's not uh, that is not the work that we have done specifically. Fantastic, interesting. Here's a question from from Douglas, who's asked, who said, you know, thanks a lot for that great talk, Barry. What is the role of the co- of cocaine withdrawal in the risky and impulsive behavior? Uh, so your animals were under abstinence during both the tasks, and you showed that the agonist can prevent this behavior. Do you know if you were if the effect you were observing is due to abstinence, but not cocaine per se? Oh no, that that's an interesting point. Now, I mean, our rats are. Boy, I mean, in the context of impulsive choice, you know, we've seen that effect on impulsive choice as long as three months post cocaine. You know, it could it could could it still be an effect of abstinence? And yes, I mean, we can't because sort of abstinence is a permanent condition after they've had cocaine. Given you know that it's that these you know increases in impulsive and risky choice are still present months after the last cocaine intake. I mean, I would argue it's probably it's not an effect of acute withdrawal, but I'm not sure how. Well, I, I suppose you could uh, you could you know ask them have them continue to take cocaine during the dur- during the course of their the, their behavioral testing, and we've not done that to address you know specifically that question about abstinence versus the cocaine itself. That would be an interesting question, though. Nevertheless, with regard to the the amphetamine, I mean, the amphetamine reduces risk taking just as well in drug naive rats as it does in rats with a history of cocaine. You know, it's probably not simply a sort of stimulant replacement effect in the cocaine animals. Interesting. Yeah, great answer. Question here from Robert, who's said, uh, sex differences in behavior are chronically understudied. So it's great to see that you examined for these differences. But regarding males versus females uh, and the punishment, did you try any other forms of punishment to see if the sex differences persisted? Could males, for example, be more tolerant of shock than females? Oh no, that 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 is a great question. So we've not we've not used other forms of punishment, although you know we're very interested in in doing so. The we did do a number of control experiments. So we've looked at things like shock reactivity, and, and I can tell you that none of the sex di- effects of you know sex differences or the effects of gonadal hormone manipulations you know had any effect on shock reactivity or sort of the threshold of shock reactivity. Now males are also much heavier than male rats are considerably heavier than female rats, and so it may be that that excess body weight makes them more shock tolerant. We did do a control experiment where we, you know, adjust, titrated the shock as a function of body weight, and those sex differences were still present there. I mean, there, so it doesn't seem to be a matter of, you know, shock reactivity or pain sensitivity or, you know, or, or a body weight issue. You know, these types of sex differences in tasks involving at least shock punishment are, you know, have been seen in other other types of behavioral tasks as well. So. Sort of, you know, Nick Simon uh, has done some work in his lab, and Bita Mogadam has done some work in, in, in her lab you know, with different types of decision-making tasks, and the, the direction of the effects when it comes to sex differences and punishment is the same, with females seemingly more sensitive than the males. 
Excellent. We've got a few questions here about the, you know, the translational aspect of of this. Do you know if there's a, a correlation between the risky profile versus gonadal hormone asset in male and female rats similar to those observed in men and menopausal women? Oh, no, that's a that is a good question. Well, I mean, we didn't see, I mean, certainly we didn't in in the female rats, we didn't see a any, you know, variation in their behavior as a function of you know, changes in gonadal hormones across the estrus cycle. When it comes to absolute levels, you know, that that is a, a, a good question. You know, Ruth Wood has done some work with actually with the risky choice task, but she's also looked at you know impulsive choice and other other aspects of decision making and shown that, you know, very, very high levels of testosterone, you know, in the sort of, you know, at the level of, you know, people who are using anabolic steroids to for for bodybuilding can cause increases in risky choice, but we're talking levels that are, you know, 10 or 20 times higher than, you know, what would be seen endogenously. Uh, so we, oh boy, did we look at, uh, I'm trying to remember back to some of the, the supplementary figures in our papers. Um, I believe in the context of impulsive choice, we didn't see any relationships between, you know, preference for small, immediate versus large delayed reward and individual differences in testosterone. But I'm I'm not remembering the specifics of those data. I don't think we did is is the short answer. But I don't know that there you know, also that we had really enough animals in those experiments to you know strongly conclude that. Excellent. Here's an interesting question from Guy, who his question is is regarding the risky choice model. Does the order of punishment probability matter? So if there's an ascending chance or a descending chance for a negative outcome, does that affect the the data? No, that 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 is a great question, and the answer is that it depends. It uh, depends on the question that you're asking. You know, Caitlin Orsini, the former postdoc in the lab, published a paper a few years ago looking at the contributions of the you know the the rodent's medial prefrontal cortex, so prelimbic and infralimbic cortex, to you know, performance in the risky choice task, and found that the effects of manipulating medial prefrontal cortex did indeed uh, matter. Uh, I mean, the, it, it depended upon the order in which those punishment probabilities were presented, and that, and so our conclusion from that work is that the you know the contribution of this brain structure was more in the lines of enabling flexible changes in you know the rat's approach to risk taking over the course of the the session rather than risk taking per se. On the other hand, let's say the effects of amphetamine, you know, in terms of its ability to reduce risk taking, do not depend on the order of probability, uh, the order of shock probability, whether it's ascending or descending. So, you know, that that's not a question that we've addressed extensively, uh, but at least to the, you know, to the extent that we have, you know, the, again, the answer is it, it depends on what the question is. Excellent. All right. And I think in the interest of time, we'll make this next question. The last one has said, impressive talk. Thank you. Have you ever used adolescent female rats in your studies? And maybe I'll just broaden that question to, do you know if age uh, affects the the results? So that is a fantastic question. You know, we have done a few experiments with adolescent rats and, you know, we did actually uh, the the work by my former student, Marcy Mitchell, in the risky choice task where she ultimately looked at the effects of cocaine. Those rats actually did start off their training during adolescence. There was maybe a, you know, small, you know, decrease in preference for large risky rewards from adolescence to adulthood in males, but it was not you know, not not robust. We've tried to, <laughs> to train adolescent females in the task, and between their smaller size and 
just greater aversion to punishment, uh, we could not. So we just simply, and you know, maybe we're, you know, you know, maybe somebody could do it, but we were not successful in training adolescent females to do that task. So with more broadly, with respect to age, though, there are, you know, we've also looked at sort of the other end of the lifespan at advanced age, and we do find that, you know, old age rats, so, you know, two-year-old rats, do actually show greater risk aversion than, you know, young adult, young mature adults, so say a four or five month rat. And so there is an, and that, you know, somewhat models what's seen in humans across the lifespan as well. And so there is that, that, you know, change from mature adulthood to advanced ages. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Expert Answers and that you'll tune into future episodes where researchers just like you answer questions about their work and share science. Don't forget to subscribe and we'll see you next time.